Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us with your favorite podcast software. And I also want to encourage you to check out our Great Detectives of Old Time Radio t-shirts. We have four designs, including our standard design and our Yours Truly Johnny Dollar Anniversary t-shirt, which you can find over at t-shirt.greatdetectives.net. We continue our celebration of Bob Bailey's 110th birthday with the conclusion of the McLean Matter. Now, the McLean Matter is the first of four serials where we have a missing episode to deal with. In this case, the missing episode falls right in the middle of the serial. Now, John Abbott, in his book, The Who Is Johnny Dollar Matter, includes a summary of episode three based on looking at the script. Uh, And it says that the episode began with Vic Wade calling Johnny, and I assume that Vic Wade was with the Los Angeles Police Department. Uh, And Wade shows him a statement from a guy named George Riley, who was the boyfriend of Teresa Corbett. Riley tells Johnny that he's been being followed by police, looked at as someone who they suspect as being involved in Teresa's disappearance. Johnny tells Riley that Teresa is dead and buried in Los Angeles. When Johnny goes back to the police and to Vic Wade, Wade advises that the police were not aware of Teresa's heart condition. And apparently, the LAPD had been able to check phone records, and they found out that there was no record of a call from Dr. McLean to New Jersey. Based on this information, Johnny reaches the conclusion that Dr. McLean was Teresa's regular physician. And that's where part three ends. Now we're going to play episodes four and five. And the original air dates on these are February 9th and February 10th of 1956. Let's go ahead and take a listen. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. This is the desk, Mr. Dollar. Your number's ringing now. Good. Hello? Hello. I want to talk to Dr. McLean. Who's calling, please? I'm not a patient. I just want to talk to him. This is Dr. McLean. I'm Johnny Dollar. I'm from Hartford, Connecticut. I want to see you. What about? About life and death, doctor. You must be drunk, whoever you are. Do I come to your office or do I meet you? You come to my office, I'll call the police. Get busy, then. I'm on my way. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To Tri-State Insurance Underwriters International Building, Hartford, Connecticut. 
The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the McLean matter. Expense account item 10, $4, gasoline for my rented car. I was in the filling station at the Statler Hotel having it filled up when George Riley stepped out from the lobby entrance. Hey, Dollar. Huh, Riley. I came down here to see you. What about? What do you think what about? All right, get in. I got to thinking after you left me today about my girl, Terry. Then you know what happened? No. The police came to see me. They told me practically the same thing you did. They said they were getting up a court order to exhume the body. Her body, they don't know for sure yet. They'll have a job making the identification. My girl, Dollar. Yeah, you mentioned that. We both know it'll be her, don't we? Sure we do. They have to go through with all this legal stuff, huh? This has to be right. That has to be right before they can do anything. That's right. Yeah. Hey, where are you driving? Around the block. Dollar, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to get my hands on the bird or put it down on the ground that way with somebody else's name. He was a doctor, wasn't he? That's what it looks like. Doctor who? You'll find out soon enough. Let me ask you something. How would you feel if you got the kind of news I got today, huh? You'd feel pretty lousy. Well, I feel pretty lousy. I was going to marry Teresa Corbett a couple of years ago. I built her a nice house on a hill. And she disappeared. Just walked out. Yesterday you come in and... You say she didn't walk out. She walked into a doctor's office one night and had a heart attack. You say this doctor gave her another name, his wife's name. He buried her and collected some insurance. And that's how she disappeared. Now, what about me? Huh? They came around to see me after she disappeared. They came around a lot asking questions. And now they think they found her. You and me know they found her, don't we? Yeah, I guess we do. I spent two years waiting to find her, and now she's dead. Why is she dead? I can't answer that yet. Well, this doctor, he can't answer it, can he? He took her and buried her under another name, just took her like she was some sort of clay doll, something used and something no one wanted anymore. He took her and buried her, and that was supposed to be that. Now, what's his name? Riley, you better go home for a while. Yeah, sure. I'll phone you later. Dollar. She wasn't any clay doll. She wasn't something you'd give a phony name to and put in the ground. She was what I loved and wanted and needed. Did she walk into his office and die with her heart trouble, or did it happen another way? I don't know. You got ideas? I don't know, I don't know. Dollar, you gonna find out? Yes. If you don't find out, I will. I stayed right there and watched George Riley lurch across the street and hail a cab. Then I turned back and found the freeway, rode it out to Sunset and all the way to the Pacific Palisades in the office of David E. McLean, M.D. Come in, Mr. Dollar. Sit down, sit down. He was a tall, broad-shouldered man in his early 30s. I shook hands with him and sat down. Well, 
That was a pretty startling telephone call, Mr. Dollar. I confess I was intrigued by it. You said you'd call the police. Well, I didn't. I don't know why I said that, really. <laughs> Tell me, what is on your mind? I'm an insurance investigator, Doctor. Or didn't a woman named Pauline Henderson call you and tell you I was in town? Pauline Henderson? Pauline Henderson. I don't believe that A I... friend of your wife's, Doctor, an old friend who worked with her once. The kind of a woman who would recognize a picture if she saw it. I don't believe I remember. Then she didn't call you and tell you I was in town. Well, that's all right, too. She said she might do that, though. Don't you want to know why, Doctor? Well, I suppose so. Yes. Why? Because I went over to see this Pauline Henderson the night I got in. She was one on a list of names of people who might know your wife on sight. Oh? She got kind of upset about my going there and asking her questions. I don't blame her. I'm a stranger to her. She finally said she'd tell you about it. I said, go ahead and tell you. And so? You just don't have any questions about anything, do you? <laughs> I'm completely baffled by this whole thing. What's your point? Don't you really know why I'm here, Dr. McLean? I haven't the least idea, but I can't tell you we're wasting a lot of time. This is a nice office, Doctor. How long have you been here? A year or so. Why? Starting out, it costs quite a bit of money for equipment like this. Rental in a building like this, doesn't it? I don't think that's any concern of yours, Mr. Dollar. I do wish that you'd say what you have to say or do what you have to do and get it over with. Hmm? I don't know whether you're so anxious at that. Try me. I've been pretty patient with you. You come here and talk about a lot of vague things that I have no connection with at all. You make a strange phone call. You appear as though you're trying to intimidate me. You mention an old friend of my wife's... Pauline Henderson. Yes. What has she got to do with it? Nothing, really, except possibly as a witness... Oh? Witness to what? To an identification. She said she might call you. She was worried about an investigation I'm handling. What investigation is that? I understand you once treated a patient named Teresa Corbett. Teresa Corbett? Last treatment two years ago, February 1954. I had offices over in Hollywood in 1954. Are you quite sure that you have the right doctor? I am. Well, I don't remember a patient by that name. What did I treat her for? A heart condition. Well, we'll soon find out. Corbett, eh? Teresa Corbett. Uh, when was this now? February, 1954. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't have anyone by that name in my files, Mr. Dollar, but it must be important if you came all the way to Hartford to ask about it. It's pretty important. Well, she might have come in for some little thing. In that case, I wouldn't necessarily have a history on her. I understand she came to see you quite a few times. Could it have been another, Dr. McLean? It was you. Well, that's funny. Oh, now, wait a minute. Two years ago. My wife was my receptionist then. She wasn't too good at keeping records. Do you suppose I could talk to her and ask her? My wife is dead, Mr. Della. Oh. Sorry I can't be of more help. I thought every doctor kept a record of all his patients if they just came in with a nosebleed. Well... Now you see that you're wrong. Now that we've gone through all this, let's get down to business. What do you mean by that? I'll come right out and say it, Doctor. You should have kept a file on Teresa Corbett. You should have kept that one above all things. The fact that you don't have one is going to make me believe a lot of things I haven't really believed up until now. What things? What are you talking I'm about? I'm talking to you about your wife, who isn't dead at all. What? Four days ago, she came to me in Hartford, Connecticut. She said that Teresa Corbett died in your office one night and that you identified the body as your wife's. What and what's you... more, you collected $10,000 worth of life insurance on her. 
Here's a picture of the woman who gave me that statement. Is this your wife? Well? All right, I'll tell you. It is your wife, Doris McLean. And she's still very much alive. And the story she told me in Hartford is pretty much the truth. I've never seen the woman in that picture in my life. I ran into one person here in Los Angeles who recognized her right away. I've got a list of eight more people who'd probably recognize her. I can go to every one of them and get their statements to that effect, but I don't think I need to. I've got a pretty long statement from Doris McLean herself. It tells the whole story. Would you like to read it? No. Then maybe you'd like to make a statement yourself. I have nothing to say, Mr. Dollar. I didn't think you would, Doctor. On the strength of the evidence already assembled, I preferred charges against Dr. David McLean. He was taken into custody and arraigned for defrauding an insurance company. He refused to talk at the arraignment and afterwards when he was held in the city jail. Expense account item 11, $2.20 telegram. I wired Hartford advising Don Taylor of the events in Los Angeles. The following morning, I received an answer from him to the effect that he was bringing Doris McLean to Los Angeles. That should have made the case complete. That and the fact that the coroner's office had exhumed the body and it had been identified as Teresa Corbin. What now? Oh, I thought we could talk. We can't, so that's that. We have your wife's statement how the whole thing worked. The coroner's man identified the body of Teresa Corbin. So? Your wife will be here tomorrow sometime. Her testimony will cinch it. Will it? You know it will. I want a statement from you. <laughs> Look, we aren't in a courtroom now, McLean, but we will be. It'll be a tough case from top to bottom, but we'll get you and we'll get you good. A statement from you right now might save you some trouble. Save you two years in your sentence. Oh, you're here to give me a break. No, I'm here because my job says I'm supposed to be here. I wouldn't want to save you anything, brother. The longer they send you up, the better I'm going to like it. But I'm not going to push too hard for a statement from you. I'm just giving you the chance to have you say so right now and suggest that you go into court with a guilty plea. It's up to you. You know something? You'll never get me into a courtroom. <laughs> Expense account item 12, 10 cents, one morning newspaper, which carried a complete story of the McLean case as well as the information that Dr. McLean had denied all charges and was freed on bail. That, along with his remark about not appearing in court, worried me. An hour later, I was out in the Palisades looking for a San Vincent home address. It happened to be a two-story building, but I didn't get up to his apartment soon enough. Hold it! Stop! Riley. You don't have to worry about your doctor friend anymore. You fool, you crazy fool. The court would have taken care of him. No. I wanted to do it personally. Oh, Riley. For my girl, Johnny. <laughs> For my girl. <laughs> Johnny Deller. Johnny, Don Taylor. Are you here in L.A.? With Mrs. McLean. Why didn't you meet my plane? Dr. McLean's been shot. What? Teresa Corbett's boyfriend, a guy named Riley, pumped three slugs in him this afternoon. He was afraid McLean might get off. McLean's still alive? He's hanging on, but they don't give him much of a chance. I'm on my way to the hospital right now, L.A. General. Meet you there. 
Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Tri-State Insurance Underwriters International Building, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the McLean matter. Expense account item 13, $10, rental, for a tape recording machine, which I took with me to the hospital room of Dave McLean. Don Taylor met me in the hall. Hi. Hi. Where's Mrs. McLean? I turned her over to the police. You know about this? No. Who's this man, Riley? Oh, just a lonely guy who lost his girlfriend. Let's go. Wait a minute. There's something else, isn't there, Johnny? Oh, I don't know. I think there is, Don. I'm going to try to get it from McLean now. That's why I brought this thing. What'll happen to Riley? He's being held for assault with a deadly weapon intent to kill. If McLean dies, it'll be changed to murder. Mr. Dollar? Yes? You can go in now. This is Mr. Taylor. I'd like him to come in, too. It's all right. This way, please. The nurse led us down to the end of the hallway and into McLean's room. Transfusion equipment was rigged up on one side of him and intravenous on the other. He watched us walk in without a word until he saw me set up the recording equipment. What do you think that's for? You, McLean. That statement we were talking about. What statement? You know how bad off you are. It doesn't make any difference now. Who's this man? My name's Taylor. Police. I'm with Tri-State Underwriters. Oh. You must be a close friend of Doris. She came out here with him, McLean. (laughs) How is Doris these days? She's made her statement. (laughs) Squeeze play. How about you? I'm not going to say a thing. Oh, no, McLean. Tell you what I'll do. We'll talk about it later. There may not be a later. I think there will be. I'm going to bet on it that way. It's tough, Dal. You struck out again. There's always your wife. She won't tell you anymore. She's... Got her own troubles. <coughs> I think you'd better leave now, Mr. Dollar. Yeah. McLean's chances for recovery were one in ten. That isn't very good odds. But as he said, he was going to bet on himself. And he won. Three days later, he took a turn for the better. Within a week, he was walking around the hospital. The trial date was set for him to answer charges of defrauding an insurance company. Mrs. McLean was named co-defendant. All set. When do you take off, Don? About five minutes. Good night for flying. Yeah. Now, what's the matter, Johnny? Oh, I don't know. This whole case, the people in it, I I just don't know. You ought to be satisfied. You've certainly done your job. McLean's are going to stand trial, and there's no doubt they'll be convicted. You testify in court, and that's about it. I know. Don. Yeah? There's more to it. Why? I know there is. There has to be. McLean's slick enough not to open his mouth. He hasn't admitted anything. His wife's done all the talking. Sure, that's true. But what she said was enough for us. Was it? Well, wasn't it? Not for me, Don. Johnny, what is it? (sighs) Riley, I suppose, and that poor girl, Teresa Corbett. A couple of little people walked into it. Riley's suffering worse than the McLean's. Then they'll suffer. He lost somebody he loved. She died naturally. He would have lost her sooner or later. McLean's had nothing to do with that. Didn't they? No. I've been thinking about it. Just go in and testify in court and come home and try to forget about it, will you? Maybe you're right. Flight 913, Chicago, New York, and well, Boston now boarding. See you in a few days, Johnny. Okay. Bye. One thing, Don. Yeah? Suppose Teresa Corbett had been my girl. So long, kid.
John Taylor went back to Hartford and left me to wrap up the details and testify in court. The day before the trial, I went over to the county jail to interview Mrs. McLean just once more. Hello. Hello. The uniform isn't too attractive, but they say it's a very healthy life in here. I mean, the regular hours and all. I suppose I should try to get used to it. Yeah. How, how long will I have to go to prison? Well, that's hard to say exactly, Mrs. McLean. Well, my lawyer said not over three years if they convict us. Three years isn't too long. No. Sit down. Where's my husband? Uh, where's Dave? He was transferred to the county jail today. Is he all right? Seems to be getting along fine. I haven't seen him, you know. You'll see him in court. Oh, I wish it were all over. So do I. But it isn't, is it? Practically. Not at all. Well, what do you mean? So far, we have enough evidence to prove conspiracy against you and your husband, and we'll prosecute to the limit on that. There'll be some other charges against him, the business with the body and so on. Let's not go into that now. But there's something else here I want to get straightened out. This is your statement. Yes. Let me read you this. A girl, whom we later found out to be Teresa Corbett, walked into the office on the night of February 1st, 1954, and complained of feeling ill. She had been drinking. My husband took her into the examining room where she died a few minutes later of a heart condition. Those are your own words on this sworn statement, Mrs. McLean. Yes. Let me go on. I had never seen or heard of Teresa Corbett until that night. I was with my husband when he placed a call to her residence in Jersey City. He spoke with a man there who managed an apartment house and so on. Mrs. McLean, that call was never made. I was in the room when Dave made it. The phone company has no record of it, no bill for it. I mention this to you because we are going to mention it at the trial tomorrow. You have my statement. Are you trying to make a liar out of me? The fact remains that call wasn't made. Were you in the examining room when Teresa Corbett died? No, I was in the front office. Isn't it a fact that she was a patient of your husband's before that night? No. I found out, I'll tell you. Teresa Corbett was one of your husband's patients. Why, she... She came here to live in Los Angeles because of a heart condition she had. He was the doctor she went to see. She just didn't walk in that night and drop dead. If that's true, I didn't know it. That night you said you were acting as a receptionist in your husband's office. When Teresa Corbett walked in, she must have given you her name when she asked to see the doctor. Well, she didn't. Frankly, I, I thought she was just a little drunk. She, she'd been drinking. I could smell it. And you just took her right on back to your husband without asking a name where she lived, anything about her? Yes. Now, look, Mrs. McLean, a lot of things you've told me and put into this statement are true. They've all been checked and rechecked. That's my job. But some of them just don't make sense. What are you trying to do? You wouldn't have known anything about it if I hadn't come to the insurance company. Maybe that's so. Maybe it would have just gotten by. But you did come to us. And whether you knew it or not, we have to know everything now. Everything, Mrs. McLean. Why do you think we've gone to all the trouble and expense of checking all this? I'll tell you. Because your story was too good to be real. It couldn't happen that way, even though the facts seem to say it could. Why, a girl it... alone and friendless in Los Angeles, dying of a heart attack in a doctor's office. A doctor who needs money and has a wife who's heavily insured. That's too much for me to take. Teresa Corbett was a patient of your husband. She had been for several months. She came in like anybody else. You or your husband took her personal history... And you noticed that she had only one living relative, a mother in Jersey City. Will you please tell me what you're talking about? I'm talking about premeditated, carefully planned murder. That's what I'm talking about. When Teresa Corbett's mother died suddenly, there was nobody left to worry about her. Nobody to ask questions about her anymore, right? That's what you thought, anyhow. But there was a man, George Riley. But he didn't know where to go or who to ask. You didn't know about him. 
All right. Teresa came in several times, and you and your husband got to know more about her. She was the patsy right from the beginning. Wasn't she? Wasn't she? Yes. Do you want to tell me about it? She had been in to see Dave several times. He knew all about her, where she was from, what family she had. That night, when she came in the office, she wasn't drunk. She hadn't even been drinking. She'd had a telegram. She, she'd just received word that her mother had died suddenly. She was terribly upset about it. She, she asked Dave for something to help her sleep. Go on. Well, he took her in the examination room and came out a few minutes later to get some drugs, and, and he said something about her case being a terminal. Terminal? You mean it was hopeless? Well, that's what he said. He said he didn't give her more than six months. It wasn't true, Mr. Dollar. She wasn't that sick. Then what? Well, Dave went back to the examination room. I, I just sat there and waited. I guess I knew what he had in mind. Had you talked about it? Well, we talked... Oh, no, not about what happened then... A few minutes later, he, he buzzed me to come back to the room. I went back there, and Teresa was lying on the table. She was dead. Uh-huh. I knew it when I walked in there. Dave looked very strange. He said that she had had a sudden heart attack and died before he could do anything to help her. You know it wasn't so. Well, there was a hypodermic on the stand. He'd given her something. I just didn't think he'd go that far. Are you sure you hadn't discussed this before? Oh. I swear he hadn't said a word to me before that night. But he had it all planned. That is, what to do and everything, when I came back to the room. He called Dr. Reed. Dave showed him Teresa and said it was me. Reed signed the death certificates? Yes. When did you leave town? Same night. Dave made me. He said he'd handle everything. I accused him of killing her, and and he said that she just died there. Well, I guess I was kind of hysterical, but... But then he said, all right, I did kill her. She didn't have long anyhow. I killed her and you helped me kill her. Now get out of here and stay out of here. If you ever open your mouth about it, you'll go to the gas chamber with me. Do you want a cigarette? Yes, please. Here you go. Thanks. I told you that story. I mean about the phone call and all. To get back at him. I never thought that I'd tell you this part, too. Oh, I'm glad I did. I'm glad it's all over. Expense account item 14, $85.40, hotel and board while in Los Angeles. Item 15, $205, plane fare back to Hartford. Expense account total, $798.60. Remarks? Murder charges have been filed against the McLeans, and they stand trial next month. George Riley received three years and a suspended sentence for assault with a deadly weapon. I was wrong about practically everything in this case. All the lies came true, but so did the facts. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Remember, there'll be another intriguing story for you beginning next Monday night. Next week, cui bono. That's Latin for who benefits. And believe me, it isn't the killer in the case. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, 
Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood, written by John Dawson. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Lucille Meredith, Betty Lou Gerson, John Stevenson, Bob Bruce, Victor Perrin, Tony Barrett, and Herb Ellis. Musical supervision by Amerigo Marino. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking. Welcome back. A solid resolution that really does allow Johnny to show his dedication to justice. And I love the way that he put himself in Riley's position. In making the decision to press Mrs. McLean, even though the insurance company was satisfied. Now this was a solid story. It was expanded from the Yours Truly Johnny Dollar episode, The Madison Matter, from 1953. However, that particular story was actually descended from two different episodes of Jeff Regan. The Lost Lady from October 16, 1948, with... Jack Webb, and The Lady from Brazil from October 19th, 1949 with Frank Graham. And again, both of those scripts were by E. Jack Newman, who wrote this week's script as John Dawson. Listener comments and feedback now, and we turn to Marty, uh, who writes over on Facebook, Listen to Johnny Dollar when I was in junior high school over five decades ago. Well, so glad you're continuing to listen and re-listen. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Pat. Pat has been one of our Patreon supporters since September 2020, currently supporting the program at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Pat. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And please be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you download it from. Join us back here tomorrow as we continue our celebration of the 110th birthday of Bob Bailey with the first of two newly circulated Yours Truly Johnny Dollar episodes where... That's all? How'd the fire start, you know? Whoa. Probably that old heater you had down in the parlor. You sure? Well, what else? That's where the blaze started. I could see it. You don't like Joshua's son. I make no bones about it. A tight-fisted old... But look, 
He's the only man in paradise that doesn't work for a living. He's retired. But does he spend his money here? No, sir. He even goes over to Salem or Bridgeton to buy his groceries. So he has saved himself a couple of pennies. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Dollar. Well? You saying you think maybe I let his place burn down? Is that what you mean? I didn't say that, Lou. But that's what you meant. It could be a possibility, couldn't it? All right. Look. I could run you out of town, Johnny. I've got the authority. Don't you forget that. Where'll I find Joshua, sir? Over at Joe Pasquale's place, about a mile down the road toward Cohansey. But now look here. Oh, stop worrying, Luke. I just want to see about his injuries and if he has any better ideas about how the fire may have started. Johnny, if you remember what I said. About not being able to get that fire out? No. About maybe running you out of town. You know, if you were to talk to the police like that, Luke... I am the police. <laughs> Well, you've certainly built up a nice case against yourself. I'll see you later. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.